Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. As always, I'm your host, Phil Brand, joined with my regular co-host, the accident, James Rhodes. After what is a fantastic weekend's Tuesday here, we will get back to recording this podcast on Mondays. Um, a few things have prevented that from happening over the last few weeks, but um, yesterday was President's Day here in the US, so all our kids were home, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, other than that, how was your weekend, man? Yeah, not bad. We had some uh, some good weather. We uh, we got to drop our our son off at family for a night, so we got a uh, a bit of a break and and uh, some fun things. So it was a good it was a good weekend, all in all. How about yours? I was in a cabin all weekend with my kids. By Monday, I was ready to drop them off at Woody Allen's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, push them down the hill on the sled. Everyone, come back. But uh, no, it was good. It was up with Big Bear. Um, always, uh, it's beautiful up there. Uh, yes, snowing stuff. Um, which is uh, very different from what we're getting. It's only like seventy men from me, and um, the contrast and weather between up there and where we what we have down here in Orange County couldn't be greater. Although it is really yeah, great. but um. It was, it was a good weekend. I, I had a bit of a panic trying to watch the United match. I actually missed the Rasmus Horning goal because... Um, the first one. <laughs> Easy to miss that. I mean, Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I ended up getting like a 30-minute free view because um, this wasn't my cabin I was in, so fortunately I didn't have the requisite television channels to watch it. Yeah. And, um, for some reason, the free view, the clock froze, so I ended up getting the whole game. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, 35 seconds in, Mr. Hoyland off the score on the score sheet. And um he gets another second improvised goal, which he most definitely meant. And uh 2-1 after 13-14 minutes United somehow managed to not concede uh after that, which again is another positive sign they've been able to do that recently, where they can find themselves in some difficult situations and find a way to win the game, which is something they weren't doing. Earlier in the season, um, one of the things that was quite different that I noticed myself this weekend was I didn't spend any time on social media watching the game because I was watching it on my phone. Yeah, and how I felt after the game seemed to be very different from how a lot of social media, uh, a lot of people on social media felt. Um, I was actually quite happy. Yes, of course, you can point to the fact that you know they can't control tempo, they can't control the game. There's no question about that. That is definitely um, an issue. And uh, but overall, you know, I I was quite snobby about the one no win against Luton at Old Trafford. I certainly wasn't so snobby about this, these three points. Yeah, you know, it kind of depends on your perspective at this point in terms of what the season has to offer and what you're looking for for the rest of the season. I think for me, uh, I've reached certainly a point where all I pretty much care about is if United will pick up the points. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's maybe a uh, a judgment on the season as a whole, but I, with everything that's gone on, Ineos, all the things that we're expecting, I'm certainly looking a lot more to the future than I am to the present. Um, you know, uh, for so many times over the over the last years, we've been stressed about how a season is going to go and how things are going to happen and, and what's going to occur. Whereas I feel very certain that regardless of what happens now, the future will hold positives for United um, and that the right things are being done. And so I'm much more interested in just, can we get the three points? 
and hopefully that means secure Champions League for next year. I'd prefer to watch that rather than be scheduled for those Thursday nights. It looks as though fifth place is lining up as we kind of expected or hoped to be um, enough for Champions League. The, the English teams in the Champions League right now are doing pretty well. They're mostly going to go through over some of the German teams. I think that will fall down the ladder. I think the Italian teams might in the end too, but we'll see with some of that today, you know, with some of the Champions League matches going on. So I think fifth is enough. And, you know, at this point, it's February 20th today. I'm not really expecting to see much of a progression in terms of United's play style, things like that. It's sort of a little bit pointless to to look at it in in, in some respect. Um, so yeah, I was happy with the three points as well. I was a little stressed during the game. There's a stressful stressful moments, you know, like it was a stressful game to watch, but I was relieved and happy that we got the win. I understand, you know, obviously this is going to be an endless debate through the end of the year, uh, with a varying degrees of opinion and all of that on. You know, yeah, we cannot control games. We can't. We don't. And why are we winning? Primarily, the front three are just doing what they do for the most part and scoring goals now. But they probably should have scored more, to be honest. But um, they were really dangerous in, in the counter. I mean, you can see, you know, the finishing wasn't quite there. I think both Hoyland and uh, Garnacho failed to get around the keeper in one on one situations on two occasions. Um, but creating those chances, we're doing it. Um, it's it's dangerous. I, I, it's kind of fun to watch that. It does remind me a lot of some of the Ole years as well in terms of how they're playing, how it's happening, what they're doing in transition. Oh, well, yeah. you know, I mean, it's fine. I understand why people would be concerned for the future with that, but at the same time right now, I'm I'm kind of okay with it for what this season is and what we have to offer right now. Look, the possession stats in games are not good, you know, Um, and they're very telling. And even if you look at the possession stats in the Champions League, not good either. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, United surrendered the bulk of possession to Luton. And the thing that was interesting to me about Luton was they were playing a high line. So Mm -hmm. it was uh, United that were obviously targeting them. And to be fair, they were targeting them early on this high line. Um, you could see that Onana was picking balls on the wing. You could see that that was uh, a, a, um, a tactic of United's, and the game was there to be won. Yep. Early, right? They should have yep. they should have taken control of that um, and got at the third goal as usual. It's always this third goal that like United find difficult, and they've been on a very good run recently. But so many of the games have looked similar. Even going to the Newport game, you know, you're two 0 up, kill the game. But yeah. for some reason, that third goal is much harder than the first and the second. Uh, United shouldn't need to score three goals to win games. They didn't, thankfully, this weekend. And, um, you know, they didn't. It was didn't close, right? We were. Uh... Uh, you know, and, and they didn't. Have Villa. I don't think United are going to ever be perfect. You know, I think other than the West Ham game, we'll take the Crystal Palace game out of it since I was a Carabao. But other than the West Ham game at home, United haven't really controlled the game where you felt yeah. comfortable in the whole 90 minutes. Um, the other big concern, of course, is Luke Shaw off again injured. United are obviously rushing Shaw back because mm. he's such a key player to them. They don't have anything. Uh, they don't have an alternative. I think 
similar to Mar Martinez. He's transformative. Kobe Manning's transformative. Those injuries have been so detrimental to Ten Hag and to Manchester United throughout the season. But Luke Shaw, once again, picking up an injury, this is a big concern. Yeah, it is. And, you know, whether he's being – I don't know which is worse. Is, is, he, is he rushing back to get involved to play or – was he fine and picked up a totally different injury yes. in yet another game? I'm not sure which it is, but either way, there was an article right from The Athletic, I think, that was talking about Luke Shaw's availability over time at United. And to be fair, from his huge, massive injury under, you know, Louis Van Gaal years ago, which is could have been a career ender easily, I mean, considering what had happened, it was a, it was a good return up in availability that kind of peaked last year and now it's come crashing down again to pretty poor levels that are not sustainable uh, when you have Tyrone Malaysia who has not been available all season and is still the missing man um, you know who still is on milk cartons at this point in time uh, you know Regulon leaving in January is a little bit odd I know. Um, I was thinking that, but a lot of it done. Like, why did I thought he was it? okay. I thought he was quite serviceable for us. Um, I think it's better for the for the setup than Lindelof playing there. Mm -hmm. um, so I I don't know. I, I, it's some of it's a little questionable. What's what's going on with that? But mm -hmm. certainly it's, yeah. it's 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 a problem. If you were going to let one lone player leave in January, it would have been Amrabat, yeah. in my opinion. Because yeah, I don't think he, he's the one without a cancellation clause in it. Unfortunately. Well, you know, but once you, you know, I understand when United wanted to cut the weeds bill yeah. and not carry any players, they don't have to. Yeah. But had Regulon have stayed, he would have been playing games right now, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, he would have been brought on the last couple of games, there's no doubt. You have a need for a left back. Um, if Malasia is still nowhere near the first team, which I assume he had to have been for them to decide to consider letting Regulon go, right. Uh, now it looks like he's further away. The same has happened to Mason Mount. You know, if you go mm -hmm. back to end of December, you know, Ten Hag said Mount is on the grass, you know, he's a week or two away. And now no one knows when he's going to be back. I have okay. serious concerns that Mason Mount will never be fully fit for Manchester United. Um, you know, this is now two seasons in a row where he's had, he's been plagued by injuries. That is not good. Um, yeah. And, uh, I have serious concerns about him, but I hope I'm wrong on that. But that insider account, you know, I mean, has had some stuff on injuries. I think that's been okay. I know that there was a point where United were concerned specifically about the leaks coming through that account. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'd say what's concerning is if it is accurate, when you talk about Tyrell Malaysia, he still has no time frame to return at all. But even if he does have a time for him to return, United have to be looking at another left back and yeah. saying, will he ever reach any anything close to a long, yeah. long time? Yeah. And even when he was at peak, you bet he he is was he good enough to be a starting left back? Maybe a, a really, really, really so. good backup. I thought he had some really yeah. good games, but I thought his form started to dip towards the end of that period before he got injured, where Luke Shaw recovered his place. And um, you could see that there was a clear difference in ability between the two. You know, twelve million pound left back from far and away. You know, not a bad deal. Um, yeah. But not your starting left back. And yeah. 
you know, the the other issue is Juan Bissaka. You know, Dallas been playing well in the right back. And but Juan Bissaka, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, I know it's another odd one, another mystery. Um, that apparently he is injured, but it was supposed to be he was held out for a precaution. And then again, he was held out for precaution. And then he's still not back weeks later, so it can't be a precaution why he's been being held out. There must be some other, some some reason there, some injury going on. So supposedly that is the reason too, but it does present a problem when you have one fit fullback. Mm-hmm. And to Dallas' credit, because he went through a lot of injuries early on in his career. I think when we signed him, he was rehabbing from a surgery, and then he spent a lot of seasons coming back and forth and in and out of the team on injury. Has played way too many minutes and i'm concerned i am seriously concerned because dallow has been good but what happens if dallow picks up an injury this is i think his first season not picking up a major injury what happens if he does now we don't even have fullbacks we don't have any fullbacks healthy at the moment outside of him i was a little bit questionable why they also let go of alvaro fernandez in january I mean, I understand it, it, but it is a, I understand the the concept of wanting him to play because he's somebody that they could sell and maybe they don't view him as a top level player, but uh, yeah, it's part of why my perspective on the season is it is a little bit of like, I'll just take the points where we get them at this point. Cause a lot of strange I decisions. I rated Fernandez. I mean, Fernandez yeah. wasn't really playing at Granada either. Yeah. And so, you know, Benfica know what they're doing, to be fair. And I think for him, maybe this is a good level for him. He goes to Benfica, he plays plays and and develops into the fullback that he he really could be. I think that'd be great. But um, I just don't think Ten Hag rated him. I think if he did, he would would still be there. Um, And as we can see, there's major change going on at United about how quickly yeah. they're moving players on, what the threshold is for keeping a player, what what, what you know, what what, uh, what 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 is bringing them to make certain decisions. You know, obviously, when we'll get into this with the Dan Ashworth thing, but FFP and PSR and how you know suffocating this is now for clubs. How how um, you know this is seriously impeding how clubs go about their business, and I think this is going to radically change. Football, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but yeah, there's definitely three birth of fullback positions. And in some sense, you know, to get knocked out of the Champions League will have been a blessing for them because they do not have the squad to handle Champions League, FA Cup, Premier League, even if they'd have kept those lone players. Yeah, I agree. It's we're, we're pretty lucky at this point in time. I think that it's down to a game or week or less at this mm-hmm. point because. That's allowing um, uh, certainly a lot of the players to stay fit, stay healthy, stay fresh. I mean, you take what's working right now. If you look at that front three, I think if you make one change, it stops working and it's winning us games at the moment. So you're hoping all three of them can stay fit and to their credit. Granacho, Hoyland, since he's come back, come back, I say actually come into the team fully from that back injury that he probably had in preseason. Uh, the three of them have been fit, have been probably the three fittest players at United, right? Rashford, Hoyland, and Garnacho over the course of the season, sustaining no injuries, not being out of the team, being able to play as much as is called upon, and and uh, and that's a that's a positive. That is certainly a positive that I hope can continue to sustain us moving forward through the rest of the year. 
I also want to know what's in the water in Portugal. No, Dalo Fernandez never seemed to get injured, which is I good. know, I know. Let me ask you about Andrew Nana because um, for uh, all the right reasons, people have stopped talking about Onana over the yeah. last couple of weeks. Um, I was listening to a statistic the other day. I uh, forget the guy's name. My apologies. I would like to credit him correctly, but he was saying that um, – Two, only two other goalkeepers have kept more clean sheets yeah. in the Premier League than Onana, which kind of surprised me, I'll be honest. And, of course, United have got the the most points per goal ratio um, in, in, in the league. Um, the goal difference, I think, was plus one, isn't it? Yeah, plus one. Ooh, um, finally, yeah. Which is the first time since Wolves at home at the start <laughs> of the season. But... Um, I thought Onana has, has had a decent couple of weeks. I thought he had a good a good game at Villa. To be fair, um, have you have you seen signs of improvement in the last few weeks? Yeah, well, I think that he's been overall quite a net positive in the Premier League itself. You know, he, there's been a couple shaky moments, but I think there's a lot of games he's done really well. I still believe that our, you know, one of the things that I think has improved dramatically under. Uh, Ten Hag with Onana and the team is um, when we do get the ball in possession or off a goal kick or something and we play it short, I don't feel under the same amount of threat where mm. I feel like it's coming back to us instantly. Um, if we if it does, you know, our, our, our losses of possession are tend to be just simply because, you know, in transition we attack so quickly, lose the ball quickly. But I don't I, – I feel a lot more confidence. I don't have that same – like nervousness constantly whenever the ball is in the goalkeeper's hands that we've had before. Uh, I don't really think about it that much anymore. It feels sort of normal. So, no, I think he's been really good. You know, it is a funny situation because he was so bad in the Champions League after reaching a final the previous year with Inter that you just wonder what's going on. I, I think he'll come good. I think we've we've both said since the start that he probably will come good overall. Goalkeeper can be a funny position. A lot of it's confidence. A lot of it is, um, you know, it, it's like kickers in the NFL. Like there's just sort of a magic that goes with it where in some case, sometimes they're just bad and uh, they can be a great, a great player. And sometimes it just goes bad and then they get it right and they'll make 50 in a row. And I feel it's the same a little bit with Onana. Um, I don't think he'll ever be the shot stopper in certain contexts that David De Gea was at his peak for sure. But I don't think that that's ultimately necessary. And and I think how he's performing now is a position I wouldn't worry about, uh, given how we're, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. And the, the more we control games and the less pressure he's under, I think the better that will be. Um, I, we're still really quite poor from set pieces, but I don't think that's really down to the, the goalkeeper at this point. A couple of other questions, Casemiro. Mm-hmm. Um He's lucky not to be sent off. Um, yeah. I can understand why people would look at both those challenges and say you shouldn't be sent off for that. But with, with modern football, that's different. You know, some some weeks you'll get away with it, some weeks you won't. Um, I'm pleased that the referee used common sense with him. Ten Hag obviously mm-hmm. was right to take him off at half time. But this is a consistent trend with Casemiro. And one of the things that I see with him is he picks up a lot of similar bookings and he picks up a lot of similar bookings with people running a pace at him or getting caught in possession sometimes in midfield. In Spain, you get a lot more time in the ball. 
and he's very good on the ball. He's very good at picking passes out. He's very, very good with with um, certain things that don't involve physical contact. In England, mm-hmm. the game's a lot quicker, and you don't get that time in midfield. You don't get that time to pick, you know, put the foot in the ball, lift your head, pick a pass. It's less technical in some sense, but the speed and intensity is totally different. And, you know, the the fact that he didn't get a red card before he ever came to the Premier League and the fact that every week he looks like he's about to get sent off <laughs> is made with concern because he's supposed to be the leader in midfield. He's supposed to be the example to Kabi Menu. And I'm watching Casimir every week going, Every single week, I feel like he's on the verge of getting two yellow cards for the mm-hmm. same fouls. Yep, it's it, it's a it's a combination of things, right? Because I feel a little bit sympathetic for him. He, he went through this last year too, right? Where there was a lot of times he was making some dangerous tackles, but it's sort of a half and half problem because. I don't know that there are many players that could defend the kind of spaces that are available in United's midfield. And at the same time, he certainly slowed down quite a bit from where he's been as a player in his career, uh, which he's never been ultimately as disciplined as you would like him to be uh, for the Premier League, especially. But it's hard to know, you know, a little bit which comes first. These, These midfield issues we've had this season the spaces that have to be covered where he's ending up making, you know, rash challenges or pulling players down from behind simply because he kind of has to at that point are uh, something we've been dealing with regardless of who's been in that midfield. Um, And ultimately he's not up to the level at this point of defending those gaps, but is there anybody that is? Tom Huddleston. What's that? <laughs> yeah. He scored. He scored in the number twenty-one against City yesterday. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> anyway, but no, I mean, of course, two other quick uh, points about yesterday or uh, uh, Sunday was uh, once again the composure of Kobe Manu. When we yeah. talk about uh, injuries that have had a major impact on United season, there's some obvious ones. Sandra Martinez, obviously, United don't have any lake for lake alternatives. Um, Luke Shaw, same thing, mainly. And when you think about this from Ten Hag's perspective, United had their worst start to a season in 60 years. If you could pick three players out of United's team, you would not want to get injured at this moment in time. Knowing what we know right now, those would be the three, in my opinion. It would be, mm-hmm. uh, it would be Cubby Manu because United are just such a different team with their. Right, yeah. it would be Luke Shaw and Lissandra Martinez. Those are the three players that are completely transformative for me with United. Um, that it's such a different Manchester United team without those three. We know how how, how, how impactful Lissandra Martinez and his injury has been. We know how impactful Luke Shaw's injury and uh, has been on United. But now I'm watching this week by week going. Cubby Mainey's injury may be the worst of them all that really cost him Hag at the start of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to look at it and say he's probably been United's most important player since he's come back. And, yeah, I mean, you think about the midfield options without him, and it's a bit scary, right? <laughs> I mean... Yeah. What he has 
you will never learn from a coach. Yeah. No coach can yeah. teach you that composure, the brain, how quickly yeah. you think, the patterns you see, the, 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 the coaching, you know, is, is very important, but it's, it's, it's oversold. Yeah. Yeah. 20% of your game. Yeah. So many things that you learn in football or in pretty much any sport um, are the things that you learn from experience. Yeah. And that, you know, knowing how to think quickly in the moment, knowing how to spot things that you can't, you just can't coach. You coach technique, you coach how to, you know, control the ball, you, you can coach certain things, but how to execute that is totally different. Cubby Manning is like a, a, a pearl in an oyster. You can open up a thousand mm-hmm. shell and you'll find one pearl. And yep. you you get one of these players in your academy, you are so lucky. Yes. When we talked about this before, you know, the deck, well, how would Dak and Rice have affected Cubby Manu's development? I mean, if you needed to send Manu in January and he's put in these performances, we'd say this is a hundred million pound footballer. Yep. He's a sensational football player. Yep. Yeah, he is. And and like you said, it's something that's it's practically unduplicatable. You're not gonna coach a player into being that good. And yeah, I I, I do consider that. He's a player, yeah, when you talk about a player like Declan Rice that United probably should have signed over the years, you know, he's a, he's a sent in a lot of ways, different in some ways, but in a lot of ways, uh, you've got the player at home of that quality, of that transformative ability, of that, uh, you know, energy and what he brings into the midfield, um, a composure, maturity. I, there's so many things that, like you say, are just uncoachable in in that respect. And and um, it, it's... Uh, an incredible it's kind of it is amazing to see but that you know leads me to another question which is he's the obvious player that you're going to say no matter what happens you could build around him mm-hmm. in the midfield i don't think there's any style of football any play any tactics that doesn't use a player of his quality right and of his of his ability what he can do is there anybody else in United's midfield anymore that you can say that because, you know, Bruno Fernandes has been obviously a topic of major discussion and contention with United at this point in time. When you watch some of the problems with the inability to control games, certainly you have to look at Bruno Fernandes and say that he's a part of that. Some of that being on purpose. It's not to denigrate the contributions that he's had because in many instances, he was transformative for United for years, taking him from a team that couldn't produce a threat against anybody to somebody who, to a team that could and could score a lot of goals. And a lot of those transitions happened because of Bruno Fernandes. But the other side of that coin is it is a constant hot potato, that ball. As soon as it gets to his feet, it's gone. And um, there is no slowing it down. There is no controlling the game uh, with the way that he plays. And I really like Bruno Fernandes. I have for years. But the way we're playing, I think, is the only way we're going to play with Bruno. And I, I'm yet to see much evidence of, to the contrary of that. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think, one, that because United are a counter-attacking team right now, that yeah. that is how they pose a threat um, that – they're so conditioned to get the ball moving forward quickly because they have such they've tremendous pace in the front three. I mean, mm-hmm. Rashford has tremendous pace, Hoyle has really yeah, blatant pace, and um, of course, uh, Ganache is quick, quick, and that's how you need to hurt you. 
before Fernandez came in, United were counter-attacking team under Solskjaer, right? Then they were able to control possession in games, but they had a different head with Kamini and Fred in behind that were giving you much more of a defensive cover. So you could do that. You could slow the game down. Um, I don't think United are capable of slowing the game down, partly because of their front three. I think um, they don't, especially the two wide players, they don't want to defend. And in a game against Luton, it's a bit, I can understand where Ten Hag's going, Luke. The way to win this game is to get the third goal. Okay, that will control the game because the 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 spaces are wide open. And yeah. one of the things that Ten Hag criticised Nathan for was dropping a little bit too deep. Um, and this is, of course, because they don't completely trust themselves to be able to see yeah. game. They still got that you know muscle memory of of, of conceding goals and. Um, and I, I still think United's best form of defense at the minute is attack. Sure. Um, so, but it is definitely a problem. And it's been a problem where they can't control possession, they can't control games. And that has cost them up until about the last, I mean, really up until the Bournemouth game. That's been yeah. costing Um Before we move on from this quickly, because just want to make, make one more mention of Rasmus Hoyland, because Hoyland again, fantastic. Takes his first opportunity really well. It was one opportunity that United missed repeatedly, <laughs> time and time again. After that, but he took it really well. Yep. Maybe he should have had a hat trick. Um, but I was watching him. There's so many aspects to his play. Scores of so many different goals. He could score in the air. He could score with his left foot. Score with his right foot. His passing's quite good in the build-up. His hold-up play is quite good in the build-up. And this kid has so much development left to do. Yeah. Um, but his goal scoring return recently since really since that Billy game, has been magnificent. Uh, youngest player in the Premier League ever to break that consistent, um, that consecutive goal-scoring record. Yep. He really looks like he, a, a top-class striker thing. Yeah, he does. It looks like it was a it was a fantastic, you know, purchase in the end. He's somebody who's, you know, they paid a lot of money for him, but he's, you, you could always see the tools were there. It's about putting it together physically. He's... He's got it all, and and I think that um, it'll continue. I, I obviously I don't know about every yeah, single game. Have to be questions about Anthony and the positions yeah. he had to take up, and the fact that they now seem to have balance in the front three. They mm-hmm. now seem to have a front three that uh, works together as a unit. Garnacho and Hoyland seem to be striking up some bit of a partnership that never existed with Anthony, yep. which you know does not look good for Anthony. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't want to keep singling him out, but it does seem like putting Garnacho on the right is finally giving you that balance up front that they need. Well, it's the problem is, is every single game now we can see it more and more, and it just keeps happening, right? It's 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 consistent, it's one of the only consistent things that we've seen is that with this front three, they keep making chances. I mean, Rashford is able to put Garnacho in behind one on one. That chance, even though Garnacho didn't score it, doesn't happen with Anthony. He's not making that run. He's not doing that. Um, the goals that occurred would not be happening with a different personnel up front. And and so you can just see it time and time again. And so it's just because it continues to be the thing that's working every week, right? Hoyland, as, we, as you said, six goals in a row. It continues to happen. It continues to work. Um, not six goals in a row, six games in a row with, with I think, seven goals now. And it just continues to work. And and I think it's less of a question now and more of an answer that uh, that I think we're certain of. 
ultimately that leads to a little bit of a problem with all these positions that we've talked about, because now we're talking about left back that United are going to need. We know that center back, they're going to need players one or two there. We know at right back with the questions over Juan Bissaka, we're talking about Casemiro, we're talking about Bruno. And now we're talking about in the front three that I don't know that there's anybody that can replicate what this front three can produce off the bench or depth or anywhere, which means, of course, how many players do you need to bring in there in order? Because they can't play every game. If we were in multiple competitions, I think we'd be struggling severely right now, Um, you know, besides the FA Cup, obviously. But if we were in these other competitions or still in Europe, we'd be struggling because this front three could not be playing 60 games a year, you know. A lot of problems to solve. So. Well, that brings us on to our next question, our next discussion is Dan Iceworth, because um, lots of discussions taking place over Dan Iceworth. And part of what we were talking about here is that, in some sense, Ten Hag maybe over, overachieved a bit last season, getting it in third. They didn't have the infrastructure so. behind Ten Hag to support that progression for the team um, this summer. Um, now with PSR baiting so hard, with FFP being a very real thing, having legal teeth. The whole Dan Ashworth thing, in my opinion, is going to become very, very normalized in football where there's mm-hmm. going to be big fees paid for people that don't understand how to run football clubs efficiently because it doesn't matter how rich your owners are anymore. It doesn't matter how much money you can throw against the wall. It matters how well your business is run. And before United make lower appointments, they need to make an appointment like Ashworth because people need to know who they're working for. What is incredible to me in this whole story was this is a few period, I'm sorry. Um, you know, Ferguson kept United off about Dan Ashworth a while ago. Richard Arnold made the phone call and said, you'd be working under John Murda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> naturally, Dan said that's not for me. I'm not disrespecting John Murdering, I'm just illustrating how inept United are behind the scenes, were behind the scenes, and United have been paying an incompetence tax for a decade. Yeah, with um, poor executive hires. There was a, 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 a statistic put out last week. I don't know how accurate it is. It depends how you want to look at it. Where this United 2020 squad was the most expensive in history. Um, it, it could be argued either way whether it is or it isn't. But um, what we can say with high degree of confidence, that statistic is a, is a reflection of incompetence more mm-hmm. than anything else. Yeah. And I've seen people argue... Oh, if you need to pay 20 million for Ashford, what that's going to do in the transfer market. I understand that perspective. It is significantly above the market precedent for people in that position. Mm. But this is a reflection for me of how football is going to change and how these people will start commanding these types of fees. Because unlike players, you know, there's millions of very there's very good players that are obvious to the eye. But people mm-hmm. who do this job well, they're few and far between. Now eventually emerge, but it's really, really, really important that you need to get someone of this caliber that understands how to run the football club effectively. Because if they if that is done right, that will save you need hundreds of millions. Well, exactly. I mean, um, not to belabor the point too much about this, but United paid 10 million for Amrabat on loan this year, plus wages. Yeah, I mean they paid more 
for Mina Riola's commission for Pogba. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mina Riola made 24 million commission for Pogba. Yep. yep. And you look at it and say, yeah, getting the right people is worth so much more. Um, you talk about the PSR concerns, the things about how they spent 533 million, 85 million for Anthony, 10 million on an Amrabat loan, uh, enormous, enormous fees being paid out. The Casemiro deal, which obviously was something that there had been a lot of reports that Enios highlighted, the kind of wages they're being paid, the Ronaldo signing. I mean, you look at the amount of money that has been spent, 15 million for Ashworth pales in comparison, pales in comparison to just the waste of the last two or three years at United. I mean, it's, 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 scandalous. it's, it is absurd. And so, you know, I understand why they don't, or at least I wouldn't say don't want to pay it because I'm not necessarily sure they don't want to pay it, but I would say, I understand why the appearance have course has to be that it's, uh, you know, pulling money from pulling blood from stone to get that kind of money out of the club. Mm. It's fine. Uh, it makes sense. And ultimately, they'll, of course, hope to reach some sort of compromise because they do want him in with a shorter gardening leap than, than 20 months, which is a little bit ridiculous. And and of course, I think we've talked about this, but I think is a little bit of it's kind of silly in, in some respects. You know, if you're talking about, well, we don't want, you know, Dan Ashworth to talk about Newcastle's transfer plans. Okay. He's going to be on the phone with them no matter what he's doing and what the situation is. And, and to, it, it's a little bit silly in, in some respects uh, in, in, in regards to all of that, but certainly they'll want to reach a compromise that allows them to start sooner rather than later. But I, I think whatever it takes is probably worthwhile. Um, you know, well, there's I mean, a lot of decisions that have to be made. Newcastle went and got Ashwood from Berm from Brighton. Yeah. Their argument is they went through the front door and out the back door to get him, and United have had a public courtship of um, Ashworth. Um, but this is what happens in football. If you look at January, Newcastle couldn't spend in January because of PSR. Yeah. They too are heavily restricted with how they go into the market. In some sense, you know, City were able to to do this with the regulation. We're able to, you know, uh, buy players at will, and you know, and of course, they've been successful with that. Other clubs now can't replicate the City model because of how restrictive PSR is. Yeah. And United have a big problem with PSR, no doubt about it. So, you know, there's two questions here: is one, can United afford not to get them? You know, and uh, two, I think that uh, with Ashworth, I don't think it benefits Newcastle for him to be sitting on big wages because they have to think about PSR. Yep. Does it really make sense for us to have Ashworth sitting on the sidelines of 2026 paying on full wages is what's it, which they'd have to do. Yep. And how much of the information that he's going to bring to United is truly proprietary where it's so unique that no one else can replicate it, that it would severely harm Newcastle. Look, Peter Kenyon did this, went to Chelsea, hijacked their move for Iron Robin. But it doesn't look like Newcastle are going to qualify for the Champions League. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, if Ashford's there or not, most of their targets that they're going to go after this summer would not um, be easily poachable by other clubs that are in the Champions League. United may not be there anyway, but if they are... Yeah. 
I don't think there's any target that Newcastle will go after that any other club couldn't get if they're in the Champions League. And, you know, Newcastle need a multi-club model, right? You need, need this yes. to, well, this is just the reality of football. We see what's happening yeah. on Saturday going to City. And they're still quite a ways away from accomplishing that. So how much value does Ashworth really have to Newcastle right now? Very little. I mean... Uh... It is a bit. It is a bit of a ridiculous thing. Sorry, interrupt. Ashworth said he needs six years to build a club. Yeah. And he and he's not had a recruitment either. No, he's not. And says this is who we go after. Yeah. I know. It's like look. He what his his expertise is a is 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 not really so much. I think it would almost be an insult to assume. And to state that uh, Dan Ashworth's expertise has to do with his knowledge that he would have obtained as a part of the Newcastle team. It, it's his, he's, a, he's an, you know, it, and that's true of most executives when, when they're hired into business, when they're hired into football clubs and things like that. It's not the knowledge that they, you know, the data, I should say, rather than knowledge, but it's not the data that they're going to bring from somewhere that makes them valuable or makes them effective. It's, it's their inherent knowledge and ability of what they have and what they're what they know, you know, um, from their experience. And and so it's a little bit silly the whole the whole aspect of it. Newcastle are going to pay a lot of money. They could get you know eight million compromise in there. That's going to help them with their situation, um, which given where they've been at and spending wise, actually does more for them uh, positively than uh, than it would for United to save that money. And um, yeah, I, I think ultimately they will compromise, but it is a little bit silly. Uh, Did you, you hear his press conference on Friday about it? What was that? Did you hear Eddie Howe in his press conference on Friday about it? Yeah, yeah, I did, and which is quite remarkable. Yeah, I, mean, I feel he, as he wants about it. No, and I, I, I feel as though it's a little bit of posturing, and it's kind of funny because when you look at you know, some of the oil clubs and the actions and things that have happened. It's kind of remarkable how, from a football perspective, professional Manchester City tend to operate themselves in almost every zone of football business. And I don't think it's an accident why they're so successful. You know, United poached Omar Barada from there without anything coming out of them. Negative, positive, you know, whatever. Pep did his answers in his press conferences and revealed a little bit of emotion, but it was sort of like very clean business. And that tends to be how Manchester city operate. And I think it's a little bit small, uh, a little bit small of Newcastle, the way that they're responding to the situation. Well, um, I think what's funny about this games <laughs> is that um, in the last few weeks, we've had a manager sniping at United. We had uh, Rob Edwards sniping at United yesterday, which I thought disappointed me because I really like him. I think he's done an exceptional job claiming that, oh, it's only four minutes added on with typical Manchester United. Anyone who's been watching United over the last few weeks would know what's nonsense. The time was added on again. Yeah. The time was added on against Wolves. Um, we were 3-2 up. Um, and uh, we've seen Pep Guardiola have a snap, and now we've seen Eddie High have a snap. And I think there's a sense that United are really starting to wake up again. And with, yeah, they're worried a little anymore, bit, aren't they? Yeah, and you are now starting to poach Big P Bomb. Yeah. And, you know, Guardiola 
and was friendly with United whenever he was dominating all, all managers. All right, Mourinho used to love people he would beat all the time, so did Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And now United are starting to get under people's skin again because it's obvious the football club is waking up. I can understand why Ashford wants to go to United because, look, if any of us get this right, you're talking about a football giant. And yep. this has potential to be absolutely massive. And, you know, he obviously, he knows Brailsford from when he was at the FA. Brailsford likes him. This is pretty much all Dave, Dave Brailsford, from what I understand, that um, Blanc will be on uh, the Ineos uh, the football team structure. So he'll have yeah. a seat and he'll get a seat on United's board. So, um, but this is something that, yeah, I don't think can wait the 2026 or something. They have to get on yes. relatively quick. And I think realistically he'll be at United at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think he will. I think he will. I think they'll get him in um, within the summer. And they mm-hmm. need to because there are so many decisions that have to be made. You know, when we talk through all of these players, all these positions, there's recruitment, there's but there's decisions on so many players that are on United's books at this point in time um, that have long-standing consequences uh, for the club from a financial perspective and, and the types of impacts that these players can make. You have, you know, uh, so much that can change things financially from, from United's uh, standpoint sitting there. When, you, when you're talking about decisions on players like Mason Greenwood, on Scott McTominay, uh, you know, those are players who have a lot of value that have no, you know, that are academy players that could be sold. The players who are all out on loan, Varane and his wages and his expiring deal this summer is 300000 plus a week that can come off, which practically funds a transfer for someone like, you know, Jared Branthwaite on its own, if you handle things correctly. Uh, Casemiro, obviously similar to that, if you can move him on, Jaden Sancho, I mean, there is an enormous amount of movement that can occur that could totally change that whole PSR picture if it is done right. And so I think it's worth what it's going to take to do that. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But yeah, I mean, I would love to see you at the same brand. Wait, I was listening to Jimmy Carragher talk about him yesterday. Yeah. Saying how special he is, I uh, would love to see him to get him. He's versatile, can play, he's left-footed too, and it's definitely something. United need to fix. Um, speaking of PSR, its impact on recruitment, because there's different messages coming out about what type of room for manoeuvre you need to truly have this summer. Uh, James Ducker put a piece out that said, you know, you know, we're really struggling in the market. They would have a very diminished. Uh, this is not the first time I've heard this, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a very diminished uh, transfer budget this summer should they not qualify for the Champions League. There's still a lot of pending variables, like you said. You know, could you sell Mason Greenwood? Jude and Sancho would, would obviously fetch a decent fee, assuming he, mm-hmm. I think he had a bit of a drop off the last two weeks. But, you know, assuming he can, find, can consistently find form between now and the end of the season, he'd fetch a decent fee. There's a couple of others that are on the fringes that would, you know, fetch decent fees. And I think that United are making decisions in a way that they weren't, obviously, a year ago. I think that they would sell these players and be a lot more proficient about how they sell. They're going to have to do that, regardless of whether they qualify for the Champions League or not. But Swedish Ramble is fantastic. Um, follow if you haven't followed them, you should do. Seem to disagree with 
the numbers, how they were crunched, and what is actually available this summer. What's your understanding of what United can do this summer? I think that a big part of it depends on the counting of Jim Ratcliffe's investment, that $200 million, because as we know, we've, we've talked about uh, where United were falling afoul of FFP or PSR, I should say, uh, in in that there's this allowable loss cap, right, of 15 million. And that can be raised to 105 million. And this is over three years. It's not a single year. Uh, this can be raised to 105 million with owner investment, right? Um, Jim Ratcliffe's putting 200 million into the club already, I think, as a part of the deal that happens instantly. And by the end of this year, another 100 million. So it's well beyond the 90 million there. If that money is counted, then it raises the cap for United's losses. I don't think they were in danger necessarily of going way over that 15 million in losses cap prior to this all occurring. Uh, I think they were close to it though. I say in danger, I, I think they were close to it where maybe it was going to go a little over, uh, which would have been problematic, something to have to resolve. So I think there's potentially a lot of space there, but you kind of do have to think with that too. It's 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 an extra 90 million, but it's over three years. So you can't do things that are next year going to be a problem. You can't say, oh, we're going to lose 105 million this year by buying all these players when those fees are going to be there next year and those wages are going to be there next year. You can't, you know what I mean? Like this, this is not a one-time, when you're buying these players, it's not a one-time expense it's money that's going on every year and so maybe you could increase it to where you lose 30 million and then 30 million next year and 30 million next year right uh and and reach that cap but that's maybe 100 million in transfer spend plus wages mm -hmm. it's not 300 million or 400 million Obviously, you can have increases in revenue, sponsorships, new deals, and things that Ineos will be looking to do to improve commercial revenue. Um, Champions League money is going to improve over the next few years. There's also going to be more games. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a fine balance, and I think you're also walking the line of, obviously, you don't want anyone to get the perspective that you're walking in with a massive amount of money to spend. Uh, but I do think it'll be reasonable and very, very much down to those outs. Because if there's one thing that Ineos have preached, and it is not about penny pinching, and it is not about being cheap, it is about being smart in the market. Because these PSR rules are real, and they are here to stay. And the rules for the UEFA are changing too, you know, in terms of these caps that are decreasing every single year from 90% to 80% to 70% of your revenues to yeah. be spent on football. That's This is all real, and you're going to have to spend well and spend properly um, in order to be successful. You cannot just do whatever you want. Uh, and so I think a lot of it's going to come down to outs uh, and these wages, especially the wages being cleared off. If you're seeing Rafael Varane leave, if you're seeing Casemiro leave, if you're seeing a significant fee for Mason Greenwood, if you're seeing you know movement of players like McTominay, then you could see a massive summer because those deals do have a huge impact on it. But I think it's dependent. I think it is dependent on that. And I think for them, 
the strategy even then will be by young players mm. who are not demanding big wages because mm. 50 million is not 50 million. 50 million for Casemiro is not the same as 50 million for, to use the example again, Jared Brainthwaite. When you're paying 350,000 a week, that's an extra 12 and a half million a year in wages versus somebody who's making 75 to 100,000. Uh, it's a massive difference. And you also have to be really careful, Tienz, because they're going to lose a lot of the feel-good credit yep. if you never underperform on the field. Because yep. ultimately, that's what they're going to be judged on. Sure. And when you look at people like Real Madrid, they're going and getting Mbappe. They've already got Bellingham. I mean, who is United's um, contemporaries? Who are their peers? Who are they going to be compared yeah. with? Because, you know, I think... You know, obviously, City, you know, are, are, are exceptional. Ultimately, if United aren't competing with the top teams, yep. any else will not be looked upon favorably. Um, yep. And um, so they've got to get this balance right between being fiscally responsible. I think one of the things that is really important and it illustrates the need for a really functional football department is managers spend definitely in their second season than they do in their first. And had United have gone out and got Frankie De Jong in their first season, where would that leave Kabi Manu right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't believe, and I, I I have this on good authority that Ten Hag would have sent Anthony in the second season because what he knows in the second season, United as a football club should have knew up in in, in Ten Hag's first season. Yeah, should have people United saying this kid is not suited for Manchester United. You don't know this yet because you haven't been here. But here's why, and so the football department overrules that and says no because. In your first season, we're not going to let you spend 85 million to find out what we already know, right? Yeah. So we can avoid this. Because to me, one of the, the why Anthony's feeling at United is obvious, right? One, he's not suited to the Premier League. Two, um, I don't think he deals psychologically well with the things that are going on off the field. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, to me, there's certain things that any functional football club would have stood out and said, "This is why I don't think he's suited to the Premier League." Even with Casemiro, Casemiro had a fantastic run for him for three or four months last season, but now you see some of his attributes as he slows. You're going to see more and more of this. You're going to see more and more yellow. This is a position in football that's conducive to picking up yellow cards because there's a lot of physical contact. It's very, you know, a a lot of the best players and teams are playing an attacking midfield role. And so you have to have an exceptional defensive midfielder and they pick up yellow cards quite a bit. But to me, it was... This is not going to get better with Casemiro. Have an issue there, but this is why they need a functioning football department. So, you know, this summer is going to be something that they're going to have to get right. Um, and this is again why I think you know it's really important that even if Ashwood doesn't start until the summer, he's influencing decisions from the sidelines um, before that because it's the same with Barada that they have to have direction and certainty over their targets that they're pursuing, whether they qualify for the Champions League or not. They can't wait until they qualify for the Champions League to start pursuing targets. And again, there's going to have to be a clear contrast between how United do business in the past and how they do business in the future um, this summer. Yeah, there there will be. And, And, you know, they have to get it right this summer, but I think also at the same time, because of the things that have occurred, People do have to be a little bit patient with it. And I know it's hard to ask of football fans to do so, but 
you know, this isn't a one-year project. This is, I use the word project there, but this isn't a one-year fix, let's say, right? It isn't. This is not being fixed in, in one summer. There's no doubt about it. This is how many years of mismanagement, right? I mean, even, even under Sir Alex Ferguson during the last five years, it was poor, really poor, how the club was being managed, how the transfer was being done, how everything was happening. They picked up a lot of older players that allowed him to win some games, but did not leave United with something afterwards. Uh, it's 15 years of mistakes, 15 years of errors, 15 years you know, on the pitch of, of problems. It's not going to take one summer. And if it takes a summer to get things under control, because, you know, as I mentioned about FFP, that goes down again next summer. And then it levels out and it stays where it is. But that goes down another 10% next summer. You know, so they have to think with not this summer, just this summer, but also next summer, um, there's going to be, it's going to be difficult, you know, to shed a lot of the players that they shouldn't have you know, right now uh, at, at United. What do you need uh, to do this summer? I don't know. At minimum, I think you have to um, be rid of the players who are not going to play, right? Some One way or another, that has to happen, right? It's, it's almost inexcusable. You cannot go into next year with Donny van de Beek and Jaden Sancho on the team uh, if they're not going to be used. You can't. You can't have In terms, them. In terms of players coming in, who, who, I mean, yeah. me, you're talking about at least a right back. Because right back, center yeah. back, and two midfielders at, at, is like an absolute minimum. You're gonna have to see. I know, I know. That's a lot of business. So now you're talking about I know. right back, mate, a left back at least, another center back, right? Um, there's well, let me back up a second here. in the summer. Yeah. There's, you're talking about another midfielder to replace maybe Casemiro. I, yep. I think they may they would consider letting Ericsson go. Yes. Uh, I still think yes. you know they've got a decision to make over Anthony. If Anthony, you know, what do they do with him? If they sell Jaden Sancho, they're still short up front. I mean, you're talking about a lot of business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a couple of things that could happen, right? Number one is if it was up to me, I'd be getting Juan Bissaka on it on that. Uh, I'd be keeping him for next season, no matter what. Because it's going to cost a lot more to replace him than it is to keep him. But think about this, James, on Juan Bissaka. Now, you know this, I know this. He was not particularly happy with what happened with yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And he's had some personal... Anyway. Um, from I, I think... From I, I, yeah. I just think this is where Ineos can make a difference in terms of properly resolving things. You know, I, like that's an opinion of mine that I've held for some time. Like... It's actually one of the things I like. I, I don't like how many players have had disagreements with Ten Hag. At the same time, I also think it's poor management from the structure of the club to allow these things to to accelerate or to denigrate mm -hmm. into what they've become. Who's there to 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 you know? It's not the manager's job to manage these players' careers. It's not the manager's job to keep them happy. Actually, it's not. It, it, there are people at the club who are supposed to do so. We're supposed to work with them on understanding what their role is, what their job is, what's happening, what they need to do. Um, and I think that for me, it would be a positive to see when I say what they need to do. I think it's that or you're going to have to spend a lot, you know, to replace players uh, if you're not going to sort out, you know, to some degree, some of the unhappiness that's prevalent 
throughout the, the playing squad. And that is an area they could save money, not for the purpose of saving money, but for the purpose of, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it's better overall. You, you don't want to have to spend it right back. Um, there's some youth players coming up at fullback that I think, you know, they're, that are highly rated where you would hope to not have to spend a lot of money there um, to allow them to, to come into that backup position. But obviously it's going to be a measure of, of Luke Shaw and Tyrell Malaysia's health coming to summer. But uh, I mean, yeah, it is an enormous amount. There's, there's no way you look at it and say it's not an enormous amount of, of problems to solve. And it, it's, it's insane. And that's why I say it's, it's a couple of years because look at some of what we talked about. You have Jaden Sancho, Mason Greenwood, and Anthony as forwards, which overall between spent and value is probably somewhere in the range of 200 million. And you're thinking, I don't know if we can use any of these players next season. Yeah, what football club deals with that issue? Like, uh, that's insane. Uh, get addressed. And, and I agree with you that as a football club, you need to have to have better control parameters that prevent this thing from yeah. extrapolating into a much bigger issue than what it should be. It should be managed much quicker. Say, okay, we're going to get quick resolutions to these issues. You might not like each other. That's fine. I do think that you're correct in saying that you know it's not Ten Hag's job to make someone happy, but yeah. I do think you also, as a leader, have to have an ability to adapt your personality to different people. I agree. I agree. That Anthony psychologically, you know, every player deals with things different psychologically, and every great leader, you know, whether you're a general or whatever it is, your people want to play for you. They want to fight for you. Right, yeah. they may not agree with you, they may not like your discipline, there may be certain things they disagree on, but ultimately they want to please you, they want to perform for you. And I think that every great leader has to have that. Um yeah. you can't always rule with an iron fist. Yeah, you know, I think there has to be ways of emotionally connecting with people to get the best out of them because people are psychologically different and they need yep. different things. But I do agree that as a football club, there needs to be more coherence across the club about what is acceptable, what isn't, and these issues should not be allowed to um, develop and fester because, of course, they spread throughout the team. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. By the way, on the topic that you just mentioned there about youth players, um, on last week's Talk of the Devils, there's a fantastic interview with Nick Cox. Um, mm -hmm. I suggest you go listen to it. Especially if you're a youth coach or if you're involved in football, or if you're a parent, if you've got a kid at youth football, strongly suggest you listen to that brilliant story in there about how you know St. Alejandro Garnacho. By the way, quite funny. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, Nick talks about the fact that they were signing him over um, COVID and they had to do an interview with him via Zoom through a translator and his two kids are in the next room battling each other over an Xbox controller, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, something we can all relate to. Yeah. Um, but um, and it almost, you know, maybe going to say, no, I'm not common, you know, this is chaos. But um, I, he also talks about the, 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 the jump in levels between the under-18s, under-21s, you know, up to the Premier League is, is massive. And... Yeah. Uh, Sometimes we do put too much pressure on young players to just, oh, he's good at this level. Why don't we just put him in? But, um, you know, it's very hard to get players out of that level to get them into your first team. But uh, quite encouraging. The under 18s had won 14 in a row with the Derby. Um, and 
in the future it does look good for United but we shall see mate we'll go ahead and leave it there uh, thanks yep. to all of you for downloading liking uh, this podcast sharing it and commenting on it uh, we sincerely appreciate that and we'll be back again next week yeah appreciate it thank you all see you again bye bye